With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Good morning and welcome to the Owner to Owner podcast. My name is Felicia Harris and I'll be your host this morning. Now, you already know, owning a company is complex. There are a zillion moving parts. And when you bring employees into the picture, things get even more complex. Whether you have one employee or 10,000 employees, it can be a challenge to keep it all running smoothly. And that's where everything HR come in. We do one thing, HR. We're human capital experts. We're problem solvers. We make things simpler. And this complimentary podcast will provide you with the latest HR trends. Whether you do business in your home state or across the United States, you'll be able to call in and speak with HR professionals about the things that keep you up at night. But more importantly, you'll hear best practices from other business owners that have been in your shoes. And today is no different. Today we're going to be talking about taking over a second-generation business with Katie Ballish, the president of Vaughn Industries. Now, you're able to call in and talk to Katie and ask her questions by dialing in 929-477-1199. That's 929-477-1199. Now, a lot of you join us online and you're also able to email us your questions at support at everythinghrfs.net. That's support at everythinghr.net. Now, because I am very excited about our guest this morning, and I know it's going to be a really good show, I want to jump right in and ask Katie to kind of tell us a little bit about her background and then also tell us about Vaughn Industries. So, Katie, take it away. Good morning, Felicia. Thank you for having me. Thank you for coming. So, when I arrived, you asked me to share a little bit about who I was and about my Vaughn story. <clears throat> and I laughed and I asked you, wait a minute, are there two different things to talk about? I think it's really important to say that because a lot of times as entrepreneurs, we have trouble separating ourselves from our businesses. And every conversation we have with everybody that uh, around us always somehow trends back to business. Mm-hmm. And so I had to stop and think for a moment, you know, how do I explain me? So, again, my name is Katie Ballish, and, yes, I am the president of On Industries, but I also live here in the southeastern Michigan area. I'm married. I have a daughter who drives me crazy at 13. And I also have a bunch of fun different hobbies. My background was actually vastly different than what I am doing now. I went to Chicago in 1989, and I was accepted into the Goodman School of Drama. So I have a 
bachelor's degree in acting, and I was a professional actor for some time. And then uh, my life kind of took some different trajectories, and I owned my own business in the Chicago area. And then I worked for Walgreens, uh, and I did a lot of other stuff along the way. So that's kind of like been my journey. As for Vaughn Industries, my parents began Vaughn Industries in 1977. I was seven years old. And originally, it began as a company to manufacture cleaning compounds for car washes, pre-soaks, detergents, polishes, and those sort of things. And as the business began to take hold and grow, uh, my dad began to expand the offerings. We had uh, parts and equipment and service. We also were doing distributing for other people. And as, again, as the business began to scale and continue to grow, my brother joined uh, my dad at the company, and they began to really kind of work to have an, an, a really large presence in the southeastern Michigan area. So that went on for a number of years, and then uh, in the 90s, my brother began uh, actually, probably early 2000s, 2003 or so, my brother began to design uh, a line of OEM parts for Vaughn Industries and then to sell those as OEM replacements for other car wash systems and, and things like that. And also, my succession journey to Vaughn Industries is slightly different because my brother was always the one that we had anticipated would take over the business. He had worked there for many years. So I think my dad and my brother had started talking about a succession plan probably somewhere along the lines at the end of 2012 and talked a little more about it in 2013. And I fully anticipated that by the end of 2014, my brother would have taken over the company, my mom and dad would have been retired, and that I would either continue to work in the business as I had been, which is I took over for my mother, at the, you know, uh, probably about in 2010, and I was doing a lot of the basic stuff in the office, the payroll, the accounts receiving, accounts payable. So I had anticipated by the end of 2014 that would be finished. My brother uh, would either have me stay in the position that I was in or make other decisions. It was really up to him because this kind of was his thing. And in early 2014, my brother passed away suddenly. That left us in a place of very great uncertainty. And when he passed away, there was only one other sibling, and it was me. So when he passed away, at this point, my, my mom was already retired. My dad was kind of one foot out the door. And my brother passed away, and I'm sitting in, you know, I'm, besides all of the grief and the sorrow, I'm sitting in my, my office going, oh, my God, what do we do now? And I remember the the... Two days, the day after my brother passed away was a Monday, and I walked, you know, I, I got to work, and I was completely numb and in a fog, and I remember one of the employees walked up to me and asked me to make a decision. And I looked at him, and I said, uh, 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 you're, you're not asking me to make this decision, are you? And he's looking at me like, yeah. And I was like, oh, 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 I don't, what, what? Uh, this was this was completely out of my wheelhouse. And so knowing that, I mean, at that point I didn't know. And I know a lot of people ask in, in you know, second-generation business, was this something that you 
had always planned on doing? Was this something that you had the freedom to say no to, whatever? That kind of wasn't my, that wasn't my experience. So my experience as a second generation owner is going to differ just slightly from other people because I realized I was faced with, I, I looked at it and I thought, well, we're faced with about three different choices. I figured we could either, I kind of hoped that maybe my dad would sell the business and I could be free or that we would close or we would move on. And I remember thinking to myself, well, if we sell, chances are is that it's going to go for pennies on the dollar because this is a crisis situation and that's typically what happens in a business like that. Mm-hmm. Or we could close, but what's the point of that? We already had people who relied on our products in there, you know, and relied on us as a supply chain. Mm-hmm. Or we could keep going. And as I thought about it, I probably could have walked away and gone home and been just fine. My husband had a good job. He had insurance. Our lives have been a little different, but I, I probably could have been just fine. But what I did know was that we had employees who'd been there for almost half of their working careers. At the time that my brother passed away, we had some people there who'd been there for over 18 years. Mm-hmm. And most of the people that we had there had been there for over five years. A few advantages, something that was very important to my mother that I carried on with was health insurance. Mm -hmm. We have always paid for health insurance for the employee, 100%, and our plan has no deductible, Mm -hmm. and our drug costs are very low. We also had a life insurance policy. We had generous PTO, and if we would have just closed, there would have been about 22 people who would have been without health care coverage, without life insurance without the kind of PTO that they'd accrued over the years that they'd been there, and probably would not have been able to find other employment that had matching benefits Mm -hmm. in any way, shape, or form. Mm -hmm. I don't know that they would have been able to find a job that had the same type of, uh, that had the same type of pay starting out. Certainly, they wouldn't have had the, the type of PTO that we pay out. And chances are that if there was health insurance available, it would be something that would be drastically different than what they already had. I also had to consider the fact that some of my workforce was aging. And if they didn't have health insurance, this is kind of the time when they really need it. And so I'm sitting there and I'm thinking to myself, I really want to walk out the door. But on the other hand of it, this has kind of always been the way my family's been is, no, this was a team. This was a team effort. These people have come here. They've dedicated their time. They have been loyal to the company. They've been loyal to my parents. And I thought, well, I guess we just, I guess we just keep going. Mm-hmm. And so that's what we did. And, and there's so much you said in that that I can take off. Obviously, being in HR, and and I heard a lot of thinking about quote unquote, your internal customer, your employee, mm-hmm. and your decision in taking over the business. I didn't hear any of the, the sacrifices that <laughs> Katie had to make that I know Katie made um, in there on whether or not to take this step and that, you know, all business owners go through from that aspect. I Everything I heard was, what is the effect on others, mm-hmm. the effect of the other people and, and how this is going to affect them and where they get the same insurance? And if you know someone, obviously, that is looking for a job, 
Vaughn Industry is obviously a great place for them to apply to because you just heard about the benefits and the things that they offer them. And so for those that are out there that think small businesses are crummy and they don't think about the people, Katie is a perfect example to let you know that is absolutely not true. See, the funny thing about that, too, Felicia, is I it never occurred to me. Like, that part of it never occurred to me. And I think that that's a big part of of being an entrepreneur and really being dedicated to your core values. And also, I think many entrepreneurs come from a place of very strong ethics. Yes. I recently had, there's a a young man who started working for us, and he's actually currently a contract employee. Mm -hmm. Typically when I hire through uh, Merritt Hall, my goal is always to make sure that this is somebody who could be, you know, who could be transitioned into a full-time hire with us. Mm So I have a young man who joined us uh, about three, four months ago, mm-hmm. and he said something last week that kind of blew my mind. Mm-hmm. He's like, you are by by far, hands down, the best boss I've ever had. Mm-hmm. And I laughed, and I thought to myself, well, that you know, it's really flattering and everything. It's like, ha, ha, ha. But every once in a while, you do have to take a step back and realize that when you have, when you operate from a certain, certain set of ethics... Mm-hmm and dedication to core values, that can be the place. It can be the place for any entrepreneur to create this kind of work environment. And by creating this kind of work environment, you're able to retain really great talent. Mm -hmm. And they stay for reasons sometimes that don't even have to do with with a base pay. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, And that's the thing. It's one of those things that when... What makes a real successful entrepreneur is those that are selfless. You're not there to screw the employee over, your customer over, or anything. You're the last person in line to get paid. You're the last. You are. You're the last person in line to get paid. You're the last person for everything. Everybody comes before you. And that determines the success of your business. And that was the main ingredient for Vaughn's success, for Vaughn moving forward is having a person that's willing to basically throw themselves on the fire, you know, and and say, you know what, let's move this thing forward. And that's what you've been able to do because I'm going to, I know some of the things that you've done, so I'm trying to like not jump ahead of myself, but I know that you've actually taken Vaughn and expanded the direction in the product line that Vaughn has because you're looking at it from a different perspective than your dad, Larry. That's correct, Dad. That's correct. Talk to us about how that evolved. When talking about evolving a business, one of the things that, you know, when you talked about this idea of being selfless and whatever, um, I'm not sure if it was selfless or just the fact that I was numb for most of it and I just had to make these choices and I'm like, I don't know what this is. Uh, all right, well, I guess that works. <laughs> I think a real clarifying moment for me and when we start to talk about sacrifice, a, a real clarifying moment for me was my brother died in May and I don't really remember most of that the rest of 2014 except when we got to the point in December, early December of 2014, and our busy season really starts right about then, November, December. And my office lead, Eric, 
uh, I remember he got off the phone and I remember hearing something that sounded kind of strange and I peeked around the cubicle and Eric was, was sitting at his desk and he was crying. And I was like, you know, it's like a total alarm. I'm like, Eric, Eric, what's wrong? What's wrong? And he's like, I just got a phone call. My mom's in ICU and they don't think she's going to make it. And she's in Florida. And I stood up and I walked around to his desk and I said, then go get out of here. I said, I am one person for sure who knows that tomorrow is not promised. Get out and go. Mm-hmm. And he turns around and he sort of looks at his desk and gestures at his desk about all this work that's sitting on his desk. And I said, I don't care. Get up and walk out the door and do it now. Do I need to book you a plane ticket? And so he got up and he just walked out the door. And as I remember so clearly watching the door shut behind him and me thinking, oh, what do I do now? Mm-hmm. And as I just so clearly remember standing there looking at the door, and then I remember it's like a beat, and I remember thinking to myself, well, business cannot stop because Eric walked out the door, and I'm pretty sure you can figure this out. And I went back to my desk, and I sat down, and I started kind of working through QuickBooks and realized I knew way more than I was giving myself credit for. And by the time Eric got back a couple weeks later, um, I had kind of reconfigured some stuff to take a few things off of his shoulders so that he didn't feel so overwhelmed. Mm -hmm. So that was like the beginning of it. And there was another time, probably in January, where a salesman came up up into the office and started talking about this, this really big job he wanted that he was pitching. And I stood up and I went, okay. I said, you need a second on that. And he was very defensive. And he's like, but, 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 and this unfortunately was a salesman who had made a number of errors in the past. Mm -hmm. And I said, I'm all for you pitching this job, but whatever you do, you need a second set of eyes on this and you will use this person to do that. Mm -hmm. And I remember my dad, because it was a little contentious. And I remember my dad that was there that day. And I remember him kind of creeping out of his office and I saw him out of the corner of my eye behind me. And I was waiting for my dad to jump in and tell this guy, you're going to do what she says. And he never interrupted. He just hung in the background. And I told the, the, this particular gentleman how we were going to do this. And uh, he didn't like it, but he accepted it, finished the conversation. And I turn around and I look and my dad's gone. He's back in his office. And I realized at that moment my dad was like, all right, I think you know, he, he, he let me. It was such a graceful moment. He kind of watched over what was going on and he let it go. And I realized that what my dad had the faith in me to be able to do this, even though I'm still sitting here going, I don't know what I'm doing. And that was another real key moment. But after that, it was about three months after that, that I realized I'd hit a wall. I had done everything that I could do to move the business forward or to kind of settle the waters that was in my current capacity. Mm-hmm. And one day I got a random postcard from Goldman Sachs, 10,000 small businesses. And I remember looking at this postcard like it was a sign from heaven. And I remember thinking to myself, if I can't get into this class, I'm not gonna be able to save this business. Mm-hmm. Went through the whole process, I was accepted. And I remember being like, okay, this is the first step because I'll, I'll have a better idea whether or not I can sink or swim. Mm-hmm. And I remember walking into that first class and I had just had surgery. I had thrown on my back. I was a crippled mess walking into this class. And I'm like, I am going to this class. I remember getting out of my car in a handicapped parking spot out of Wayne State <laughs> University. I could barely move because of my back. Pulling my little scooter out and scooting off to class and getting in there. And the first class, we're sitting down. <laughs> and I'm in a room full of like 35 people.
people, mm-hmm. all of these impressive to me people who have these businesses, a lot of it first gen, and I'm sitting there, and the guy starts talking, and he starts talking about all, these, all of these things, and he starts talking about metrics, mm-hmm. and he's like, you know, the metric for this, the metric for that, and I'm looking around this room, and there's like 35, 34 other people who are like completely wrapped. Mm-hmm. attention with what this guy is talking about, metric, 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 and I'm sitting there going, I don't know what a metric is. Uh, and I was too embarrassed to ask, and I was too embarrassed to say anything, so I just kind of kept going along and just trying to grasp all this information, and I go back to my office on Monday, and I asked my brother-in-law at that time was working there, and I looked at my brother-in-law, and I went, what's a metric? <laughs> and he's like, it's just a unit of measure. And I'm like, okay, I get it. Cup, tablespoon, you know, gallon, I don't understand. And he's like, no, it's just a unit of measure. I'm like, uh-huh. So then he brings me, he prints out a couple of things, and he goes, see, this is a metric. It's this and that and the other thing. And I went, uh-huh, I still don't understand. <laughs> and I was so intimidated because I just thought all of these people were so much smarter than I was. And at that point, too, I was really still operating on the idea that I was still God, praying to God that my dad would, you know, that we could find somebody to buy it because I remember being in class that first day and they, they asked us to write down where do you want to be in 20 years and put it in an envelope. I had to look up at the ceiling directly into the light so that I didn't start crying because the only thing I could think of at that point was that I was doing this for my dad. Mm-hmm. And I felt this wave of emotion that was like, I'm trapped. And... That was really hard for me, but it took about eight weeks of just sitting and really listening and uh, having to accept the fact that I probably knew more than I did, but it's all about the implementation. Mm-hmm. How do you get from point A to point B? Mm-hmm. So it got, it, it did get easier, and I learned from those people around me hearing some of the things that they absolutely wouldn't put up with. And I remember thinking to myself, well, wait a minute, I put up with that kind of crap all the time at work, and this person no. is saying that this is unacceptable. I'm like, why is it acceptable where I work? Mm-hmm. That also comes, and this is a key point in generational businesses, is when you take over as a second-generation person, how do you step back far enough from the business and be able to take the perspective of doing it in a way that you believe is correct? Yep based on education that you're receiving and balancing that against the way it's always been done. Yep. And that was like a huge challenge. But the only way to do that is by really immersing yourself. You have to have the passion and and the desire to do so. Yep. But to really immerse yourself with other people, whether it's in a program like Goldman Sachs, 10,000 Small Businesses. Which is an awesome program, by the way. Which is, yes. If you are an entrepreneur and you have a 10,000 in your area, go. Go. I would strongly (laughs) recommend applying because it's an amazing opportunity. Um, Goldman Sachs puts a lot of money behind that program to support entrepreneurs to grow the economy. Yep. Once I finished that program, though, I waited about a month and I thought to myself, I still don't have enough. Mm-hmm. Now, the year my brother passed away, my brother had been accepted into the SBA's Emerging Leaders Program. Another amazing program. Another amazing program. And he died uh, probably about a month and a half after they started. Mm-hmm. So in about early December, I called Nancy Gross from the SBA here in Detroit. Awesome person. Awesome person. <laughs> and I asked her, do you remember me? Because I was the one who had to call her mm-hmm. and let her know that my brother had passed away. 
So she said, of course I remember you. Hi, how are you doing? And I'm like, okay, well, I'm hanging on. I said, I just finished Goldman Sachs. I said, it's not enough. I need more. Would there be a place for me in um, Emerging Leaders? Mm -hmm. And she said, absolutely. And so I went in for that interview. I got into SBA's Emerging Leaders. And that, for me, because I didn't have the MBA in Mm -hmm. business or any of those Mm -hmm. things, that particular second class for me was so important because it's very similar to the Goldman Sachs program, only there's a slightly different drive to it. They complement each other so well. And that was when, it was like after the third class, it was like my brain exploded. It made sense. Mm -hmm. And I was taking something out of every one of those classes after SBA, and I was implementing it. Mm -hmm. I would be like, okay, I can do this. Mm -hmm. Okay, I can do this. And I would go back, and I started to see all of a sudden the progress. And the progress was hard. It was hard fought. It was hard won. Mm -hmm. But there were changes that I had to make. And and the only way I would have known how to make them to help us move forward as a company Mm -hmm. was by being in the company of other entrepreneurs, Mm -hmm. hearing their stories, hearing their experiences, talking to them about what worked and what didn't work, talking about what their biggest challenges were, what their scariest moments were. And I think one of the things that people don't understand at this point, whether you're uh, a first-generation entrepreneur Mm -hmm. or a second-gen or a third-gen, is that these challenges are no less intimidating or frightening, no matter where you are. That's so true. But it's all about what you've learned and how you can deal with it how you can put things into place to be, uh, you know, to really be able to implement those changes and to be able to get your team to be all on board because not everybody's going to be on board. That's so true. The next thing you need to do is, like, once you've got those things, now you need to start to find your alliances. It, you know, for me, I have a, an accountant yep. that, is, that I've had a longstanding relationship with yep. now. Yep. He and I have kind of grown at the same rate because he purchased the firm shortly after I became oh, good. The, the president of Vaughn. Mm-hmm. And so he and I have been able to share things. Like he's, he's like, whatever you need help with, I'll tutor you, I'll do this, I'll do that. And then on the flip side of that, mm-hmm. he's telling me about an employee who is threatening not to come in the day before tax day. Mm-hmm. And I looked at him and I said, who does she work for? Well, she works for me. I said, then you tell her that she's coming in. Mm-hmm. It's the day before tax day. There is no option. Mm-hmm. And it was, and then he had another person who he's like, yeah, this isn't working out. I've got to redo his work, whatever, whatever. And I'm like, why are you doing that? Mm-hmm. I said, so wait a minute, let me understand something. You're paying this person to supposedly help you, except it takes him 10 times longer to do anything that you do, plus it's wrong, and you have to redo his work, and you're paying for it. Mm-hmm. How does that make sense? Exactly. A week later, he comes back, and I was like, how's that working out? And he's like, oh, I fired him. I was like, yeah. Exactly. That's how, that's how we work together. Mm-hmm. I have two attorneys who have been instrumental in helping me move forward, one in the intellectual property field. Mm-hmm. I, and the, one of the other greatest assets that I have, mm-hmm. and this is important for you if you are an entrepreneur and you are trying to handle everything in your business, mm-hmm. is that I happened to meet Felicia, at an emerging leader seminar, and I talked to her, and I read her book. She's got a, she wrote a wonderful book. Was it how to hire to drive hire business? To drive business. Hire to drive business. And Felicia, the first time I sat down with you, and we talked about this when we met outside of of emerging leaders, and you asked me a question, and I forget exactly what it was, but you said to me, mm, mm, mm. 
that is the last time that you ever do that. And it was something simple as like it was either taking out the garbage or some something. And you were like, you are not responsible for that. And I've always been the kind of person who's been like, well, I'll take out the garbage. I'll do this. I'll do that. I'll clean the bathrooms. And you're like, no. Mm-hmm. And even though I'm willing to do it, it doesn't mean that I should do it. And that was a really key piece of information. And so if you are an entrepreneur, one of the things that you should really invest in is trying to figure out where your real strengths lie and where you don't need to be spending your time. That's so true. And so hiring somebody like Felicia as as outside consultant for HR has made a world of difference in my business because not only do I learn from you every time we end up in a situation where I can handle more and more by by myself, I also know when there's something I just don't need to deal with. And I just call you and I'd be like, hey, can you deal with this? So these are important things. How do you, as a second-generation business, and, you know, knowing that they had your dad's way of doing things and had your brother's way of doing things, and now here your employees have, yes, you were there, but they didn't have to answer to you, how did that transition go? Because obviously they're looking at you maintaining the same thing that your dad had and your brother had. How did that transition go? Especially once you know what was acceptable and what was not acceptable. When you talk about sacrifice, Mm -hmm. there's this idea that we're constantly doing something that doesn't necessarily support the things maybe that we want to do. Mm -hmm. And so I want to take the concept of sacrifice and look at it from this perspective. I was never the kind of person who was confrontational. I was never the kind of person who would tell somebody just like it is. I was also not somebody who could be, I always felt like I had two speeds, which was either like crazy mad or really super passive and let people walk all over me. Mm-hmm. And and for the most part, I think more, I was more just like, oh, okay. And before my brother passed away, when a lot of times the two people who were there the most often would be my brother and myself, mm-hmm. employees would go to my brother and they would ask him for something. And if they didn't like the answer, all of a sudden I found them kind of finding a crafty way to come and talk to me about it. Mm-hmm. And so it was like, well, if I don't get the answer I want from Dad, I'll go ask Bob, mm-hmm. right? And so they would come to me and it would, because I was handling, obviously, benefits. I was handling uh, PTO and all mm-hmm. those other things. And so they would come to me kind of in this HR function and there was some, I don't think it was intentional, but it was this way that it kind of was always done, which is like, okay, I'm going to kind of sideline into it. And when my brother passed away, that was a difficult transition because mm-hmm. they, because, and it took over a year mm-hmm. because I, I finally moved offices into where I was in a private office space. Mm-hmm. And we started to try to implement some sort of organizational chart. Mm-hmm. And it was very difficult at first mm-hmm. because we never had anything on paper. Mm-hmm. And so getting our employees to talk to their supervisors first and then have the supervisor bring me the problem um, I mean, it took a couple of years to really implement that. And you had people who absolutely were not going to do that. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, many of those people no longer work there. Mm-hmm. And those were some of the biggest challenges that I faced, which is how do you fire somebody? Mm-hmm. 
And after the first time, which was really difficult, I remember just being so sick to my stomach and being like, oh, my God, and just trying to stay calm. But this was essential that this happened. Mm -hmm. And the second one was a little easier. The third one was a little easier. But then some of this became where I think where you and I came in was all of a sudden people were still not honoring the organizational chart. And I was having people in my office coming to sit down and telling me their version of some story. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes I feel like people are trying to tell you something that they think you'll believe so that they can get some sympathy. Mm-hmm. And here I am on the outside. I'm like, really, you need the shirt off my back? Here you go. Mm-hmm. You know, I had one lady say one time in the restaurant, my favorite waitress, say to me that she really liked my jacket. And it was this little kind of fur like blazer thing Mm -hmm. with a little fur fur collar on it Mm -hmm. and I gained weight and it really did not fit me anymore and she Mm -hmm. said how much she loved it and I literally I took it off and I gave it to her and I said here you enjoy this because I knew it really didn't fit anymore and I gave it to her this is the kind of person that I am you know and church asked for donations for uh we we have this mission Mm -hmm. Uh, for a girls' school in another country, and they needed bras. Mm-hmm. And I remember I was at Meyer, and there were 50% off, 75% off the clearance price. I bought 64 bras, and I took them over to the church. I was so excited, you know. Mm-hmm. That's who I am. And so getting to this point where you have to be the one that's, that is the one where the, the buck stops here, this is the line. And over the last five years, I've terminated more people than my parents terminated in the 20 years prior. Mm -hmm. And that's because nobody in my family is good at confrontation. Nobody in my family. And my parents weren't really business people. My dad was a chemist. My mom was uh, a Ph.D. in English. Mm -hmm. Uh, They had business common sense. But they didn't have, like, the business acumen to be able to run a business in this way. So they dealt with a lot of these pain points where you'd have an employee who's very difficult, and they would just live with it, and they would kind of say to themselves, well, you know, maybe they'll finally quit or something. Mm -hmm. And I didn't have enough time anymore to put up with that. I just didn't have the time. Because all of a sudden you start to see that one person – can affect an entire staff. Mm-hmm. And the one, one of the other things that you'll learn if you do something like Emerging Leaders or SBA or um, you know even doing independent reading, you'll find that you cannot put one person so over true. the needs and the well-being of the rest of your staff. So true. And by being able to take that perspective, terminations became a lot easier. And I remember when, again, so true. Do you remember when, right shortly after we started working together, and I had that one difficult termination, and I walked in, and um, you talked with the supervisor, and mm-hmm. then they brought me into the office, and you went, it's just time to cut the cord. Yep. And I said, cool, do I have to be here for it? And you were like, nope. nope. <laughs> I went out, and I got a cup of coffee, and when I came back, the problem was gone. Yep. But even then, even with the difficult employees, it's a small company, and you still do have personal investments. In you people. do. And it is still hard. It is. It is. Finding a person is never easy. Mm-mm. You know, and, and, and people that think that, oh, they just fire them. They don't care. They just fire them or terminated them or lured them off. No, that's never easy. But as a business owner, we always have to think what's in the best interest of the business. Is this behavior of this employee going to advance the business or is it going to hold the business back? I think one of the strongest 
lessons you can learn is if you are in a situation like that and you do have to terminate an employee mm -hmm. who's made the work environment not so hot, mm -hmm. every single time I've had to do that, mm -hmm. I have heard resounding from the staff, oh my God, thank God you did it that. always happens. It was just, you know, I like it, but God, it sucked to work with. It and always like, happens. And so I know that when I hear those, I know that my decisions are correct, and I know that my staff knows that I support the general work environment, and that's really important. That it'll, you'll get that response from not just employees, but sometimes some customers will actually end up saying, oh, my God, I was wondering when you were going oh, to that, you know, blah, blah, blah. Exactly. And I'm like, why didn't you say something earlier? Exactly. You know, I, because if that was really mm -hmm. that, that issue, why I, I – and then when we get to that situation, I always tell a customer, I would – in the future, if you ever run into a situation like that, I would like you to call and ask to speak to me. Yep. And I don't give my cell phone number out, but there are a few people who have my cell phone number. And if you've got my cell phone number, that pretty much means that, you know, I will take care of your problem. But I do try to also honor the organizational chart and the responsibilities of my employees yep. that have been clearly defined, which is why I don't give out my cell phone number. Mm -hmm. Because my employees know that these are things that they can handle. I trust them to handle them. Mm -hmm. They have been given the right tools to handle them. Mm -hmm. And they know when they need to escalate. Yep. They do. We have a question from Brenda, and she sent this over last night, so I'm going to read the question, but I think a little bit, it's a little, some of it you already answered. And so she says, hello, um, I'd like to ask Katie the following. Katie, when you and your parents began talking about succession, were you ever not interested? That's the first part. And I'm reaching an age where I like my son to take over running my company, but I don't think he's ready and not confident that he wants to. How do you know, and did you ever have any qualms about taking over? Did you ever consider saying, no, I don't want it? I think this is a great question, Brenda. And just so the listeners know, I actually know Brenda. Um, I Brenda is the president of the Women in Car Washing Association, and I got to meet Brenda in person in April and then also uh, in May at two different car wash events. So my parents did not speak to me about succession. That is because I didn't want anything to do with this. Like, seriously, I ran away from home basically at 19, and I went to Chicago because I wanted to be an actress. And this was never of interest to me. It just absolutely never had I never had any interest in me at all. And so when my life was at a crossroads and I moved back here in into the Detroit area at, at, in 2010, uh, I did not come back to the Detroit area and expect my parents to employ me. As a matter of fact, that was the last thing in the world I wanted. So before I moved back, I was working for Walgreens and I had secured an internal transfer between states. And so when I came back to Michigan, I was working at Walgreens, and I was perfectly happy. And then I walked into my parents' house one afternoon about three months after I got back to Michigan, and my mom closes the refrigerator door, peeks around the refrigerator, and says to me, I need you to quit your job and come work at Vaughn because somebody in the office quit. And I just remember <laughs> mentally in my head going, oh, shit. And I said, okay, um, 
my parents had, had all, my parents had always let me do pretty much what I wanted to do. Like, I don't really think that they were hip on me trying to be an actor, but they let me do it anyways. And I thought to myself, well, now's the time in which my mom's health was really starting to fail. And I said, okay, well, I need to do this. So I went in and I started working there. And I remember one of the guys who's still with us now, he goes, ah, you're a lifer now. And I went, oh, no, I'm not. I am not a lifer. I am not staying here forever. And he just snickered and said, yeah, we'll see. So they never talked about succession with me. That was a, a conversation between my brother and my parents. That was their thing. I was working in the office. I was perfectly happy to be working in the office. So, and again, when my brother died, again, there really wasn't a question of succession at that point. It was just sort of, okay, let's just keep doing what we're doing until we can't do it anymore. And then that just sort of turned into me going, okay, well, I guess we're going to do this. And then eventually my dad uh, gave me, became majority owner so that we could move forward with some plans like women-owned business and things like that. So if you ask about your son, what I would say is really assess your business for what it is. And before you go and talk to him any further, take an honest look at what his strengths are. And if you believe his strengths are there to run your business, then you need to start asking about the passion. Is he passionate about running the business? See, when, and, and here's my perspective is, was I passionate about running Vaughn Industries in, in the beginning? Oh, my goodness, no. Absolutely not. Like I said, I thought it would be the last thing I wanted to do. But after about a year, once I started to get some support from places like Goldman Sachs, all of a sudden, it did become a passion. I was so excited about the changes that I saw and the things that we could do. Um, I, I loved it. I loved every moment of it. If you think that he can get to that point where the passion will equal the ability, then it's time, I think, to begin a further discussion. I want to take a moment, though, just to point something out. Mm -hmm. If you own a business and you are either second-gen, third-gen, or thinking about doing succession to a second-generation person, I want you to stop for a moment and consider something that I rarely take time to consider, is that if you're at this point in your life, you are part of something extraordinary. That's true. The rate of failure for new businesses is so extraordinarily high after a year, five years, 10 years, 20 years. If you're at the point where you're looking for your viable business to become a second-generation business or you've taken over a business, Take a moment to really relish the fact that that is exceptional, and it can also help offer you some perspective. And that perspective is when you now, as second generation, start facing some of these really scary challenges, and you think that it's just you or you're alone, those challenges don't change between Gen 1 and Gen 2. The situations do, but how you handle it doesn't. Very well said. Very well said. So I hope, Brenda, I hope that that was... I hope that that was helpful. Um, and did I ever consider saying no every single day? Like I said, I'm like, well, I'm going to go home and you know, be a stay-at-home mom. Oh, that was a fantasy. And now I think about being a stay-at-home mom, and I think I'd crawl up the walls after about three weeks. I'd be cleaning the grout with a toothbrush. <laughs> so I hope that answered your question. Awesome. 
Now, I want to get to, we got about 15 minutes left, but I have to ask you the question. Even though you're taking over a second generation business, and you're taking over this second generation business that is a male dominated business or industry, mm -hmm. you're coming in as a female in a male dominated industry. You, there is a huge story behind that. Yes, there is. <laughs> I think where this sort of came to light for me was a number of years ago at, it was about three years ago, at the International Trade Show. The International Car Wash Association had some badges that were made up that said women in car washing. And so you had some of these women who were wearing these little green badges that said women in car washing. I'm like, I want one of those. So I went and got one, and I was all excited. And then I started saying to, um, I started saying to the associations, hey, can we do like a women's association in car washing? Because I think we really need it. And the reason why I said that was because on the trade show floor, time and time again, we would get women who would come into our booth, and they would engage one of my salesmen, and they would start talking. And it was very clear mm -hmm. that they knew exactly what they were talking about. Mm -hmm. It was very clear that they were invested in the car wash market, whether it was as a buyer or whether it was an, as an owner-operator. Mm -hmm. um, we had one woman who came into the booth. And Eric, one of my employees, says, I think you should really meet this lady. So I go over and I start talking to her. And she starts talking about the quality of the welds on our sprockets. Mm -hmm. And she says, wow, she goes, these welds are beautiful. There's no popcorn. There's no this. This woman clearly knows what she's talking about. Mm -hmm. And then she says to me, I'm so happy to be in this booth. She said, so many other booths on the floor will not give me the time of day. Wow. And I looked at her and I said, you're kidding. And she goes, no. And as I started to ch talk with other women in, in the industry, um, what I heard a lot of was that a woman who owns a car wash might have her husband with her uh, or her significant other with her, and they'll be walking the floor. And this woman is completely competent. Mm -hmm. She is completely knowledgeable, can do some of her own repair work, knows exactly what she needs. Mm -hmm. She's walking through the show floor with, you know, a male companion of some sort, mm -hmm. and she'll walk into a booth. And all the salesmen turn immediately the turn to the guy. And the guy will say, well, it's not my car wash. It's hers. Mm -hmm. And I think that um, because it has long been a kind of a, a male-dominated industry, it's a very hard transition mm -hmm. for people to make. So I started to ask, well, how can we, how can we bring a little more awareness? Because there are so many women in the car wash industry who have – who play big purchasing roles, who have great technical knowledge, how do we find a place for uh, all of us to get to know each other so that we know that we have this, uh, this kind of network of people that we can ask questions of and not be kind of judged by just being a woman? Mm -hmm. And I think actually in the last couple of years we've made strides. We've done a number of different things. The other thing that you don't see traditionally on a trade show floor is you won't see a lot of women present. Okay. As I, and let me rephrase that. You won't see a lot of women, women represent, representing companies. Okay. A lot of the companies are pretty much either male-owned. They might have a sister or a wife or somebody who's part of the business, but there's not a woman who is typically really like the, the head of the business. Mm-hmm. 
so that kind of leave me, left me in a unique position. And, and I've had all kinds of strange things happen. You know, three or four years ago when we were at a trade show, uh, I remember greeting a gentleman coming into our booth, and he, he kind of gives me the eyeball up and down. He's like, do you work for Vaughn Industries? And I'm like, I do. How can I help you? He says, no. I mean, do you really work for Vaughn Industries, or are you just one of those girls they hire? <laughs> I was like... Okay, I can give this, but I was pretty much used to hearing stuff like that, and so I said, let me introduce you to my technical advisor, Neil, and I'm sure he'll be able to answer all the questions that you might have. I walked him over, I made the introduction, I did the pass-off. Five minutes later, out of the corner of my eye, I see Neil walking back towards my table on the trade show floor, and he's got this guy with him, and I'm like, oh, this is going to be interesting. So Neil says, you know, so-and-so, I'd like you to meet Katie, and he gives me just the, the briefest of glances, and he looks back at Neil, and he goes, yeah, we've met. And then Neil says, she's the owner. And the look on his face was so priceless. It was priceless. But even then, I didn't, I, you know, because I'm kind of aware of the playing field, you know. So even then, I did not say, I just said, yes, I said, was Neil able to help you with everything that you needed? Mm-hmm. Because there's no reason to get into a fight about it. That's so true. So it's been interesting, but what I've loved over the last year or so is that the women in car washing have kind of come together at two separate events. Mm-hmm. And what's amazing to see is the, the sharing of talent and knowledge and skills amongst this, this set of women, which also I think opens doors for all of us. Like if we have a question and we're uncertain and we don't want to get the, what we are concerned about getting a typical answer about, you know, getting blown off. Mm-hmm. We're starting to develop a network of women for whom we can go to and say, That's hey, can awesome. I get some advice from you? That's awesome. And the other real amazing moment that I had last November when I was at one of these women's events was I was sitting at a table with a woman who was about my age, who'd been in the industry for a long time. And it was also sitting with a number of younger women. Mm-hmm. And I remember the, the, the woman who's my age and I were talking, and we were, we were sharing this experience of all of these years in the car washing industry. And even though I've only been with Vaughn since 2010, I pretty much grew up. Mm-hmm. Every dinner, car wash talk, you know, mm-hmm. I'd go to car wash events, and I would see how women would be treated. Mm-hmm. So this lady and I are having this conversation about, oh, yeah, and then, you know, guys, they treat you like this or whatever. It's like, hey, baby, what, what room are you in kind of thing. And the other women at my table, who some of them were probably half my age, mm-hmm. they looked absolutely aghast. Mm-hmm. And they said to me, I can't believe what I'm hearing. Mm-hmm. I would never let anybody treat me like that. And all of a sudden, another light bulb went on in my head. Mm-hmm. And I thought to myself, this is what mentorship is about. Mm-hmm. A mentor does not need to be older than you. Correct. And I recognize the fact that we know the industry is changing. But my mindset of the industry had not. Correct. I was working off a years-old attitude about how the industry was, as was the lady across from me, because this is our experience. Now, bringing it into this group of people where I'm talking to two women who are younger, for whom they see no difference. One of them was a manager at a breathe-through car wash, and she's like, no, I tell the guys what to do all the time. I know how to do it all, but they have to listen to me. If I need them down in the pit, they got to do that. If, if we're going to do repairs on the chain, we do that. Mm-hmm. And I, w- I sat back, and it's been something that I have reflected on for months at this point, which is the world has changed, Yes. and I need to change with it just as if a young person needs to adjust to adult expectations. Yep. It was 
fascinating for me. And it's fascinating to, to hear that, to see how those that are younger than you, they're living in the progress mm-hmm. that others that came before you mm-hmm. had started to make in the industry, but you got to see the struggle that they made mm-hmm. in order to make the change, and that's where you were stuck at. But they're like, I'm way past that. Yeah, and I thought to myself, hey, man, I want to be on the tail of your kite. Exactly. <laughs> I was like, wow. And the other really, really interesting thing that I learned, there was, uh, we talked about body language. Mm-hmm. You know, at first when I went to this and I saw the, I, I saw the, the list of events, I was like, oh, goodness, we're going to talk about body language. Mm-hmm. But even when I get those preconceived notions and I'm sitting in a class, I'm like, all right, you need to open up your mind again mm-hmm. and you need to really listen. And maybe you won't hear anything new, mm-hmm. but maybe you will. And I you know, I am, I am always so pleasantly surprised when I take something out of one of those places mm-hmm. and I begin to implement it immediately. And one of them was the difference between the way men and women negotiate. Yes. Two guys can negotiate. Yes. They can yell at each other. They can yes. pound on each other. And they can leave a table without an agreement. Yes. And they can still shake hands and they can go out and have a beer together. And it's like it never happened. Yes. Women, they can get into, you know, they'll start to fight. But then typically they pull back and then, you know, don't ever scorn a woman because it'll just never end. Correct. And this one beautiful thing that, that I feel like I have started to um, really kind of implement, which is, it is what it is. I cannot be all things to all people. Mm-hmm. I know that I have people who do not like me. Mm-hmm. And none of those things are really important. Correct. Because I still got to go back to the office and make sure my payroll clear. Correct. Those are my goals. Right. And so I've stopped spending this emotional energy on on carrying any of these things like, oh, my God, they treated me like crap because I'm a woman. Oh, my God, I don't get whatever. I'm like, whatever. It doesn't matter. None of it matters. And it's like, you know, somebody can not be – give me the credit yep. that I – you know, and that's okay because I can still go out and socialize with that person because eventually they probably – I probably will earn that kind of respect. Correct. And if I don't, I don't. And I can't change that. Correct. I can, I'm only in charge of what's right in front of me. And as long as I keep on my path and keep it in perspective and constantly keep reaching out to others uh, to share experiences, to mm-hmm. see how my actions meet up against a variety of other experiences, as long mm-hmm. as I keep asking questions. Because in the very beginning, when I didn't know what I was doing, I was like, oh, my God, anybody who will talk to me about anything, please. Anybody will give me five minutes. Mm-hmm. And to take these opportunities to continue to put together my puzzle pieces. And my puzzle will never be finished. No one's will. If, you, if you're going to grow as a business owner, you have to ask questions all the time. Just yesterday, remember, I called you and said, what do I do about oh, yeah. this? Oh, yeah. You know, and I already knew what to do about it, but you were like, yeah, just do this. I'm like, okay, that's what I figured. I just wanted to talk with you. You have to. And don't even put, don't laugh. But you can never underestimate the power of YouTube because sometimes if you can't reach somebody, like I did this a couple of weeks ago for QuickBooks mm-hmm. and I needed to make an alteration and I think my accountant wasn't there and I'm like, well, what do I do? I'm like, let's go to YouTube. Mm-hmm. You'd be amazed. Mm-hmm. You know, it's all there. It, it it's all there for you. It is. You it just is. need to be make sure that you stay open-minded and know that that you can never stop asking questions. You can never stop finding great alliances. That is so true. So what I do, we're coming to the close of this program, but what I would love to do, I would love to be able to have Katie 
put something together for second-generation businesses or thirds because I think she has a wealth of knowledge and experience that all of you could really, really glean from if you're considering it or if you're already in it. And so hopefully, I'm trying to encourage her to do something. Hopefully, all of you, especially if you're joining us on the Internet, that you would kind of join along with me to kind of push her along to kind of at least have something that she can offer all of this information up from you in a roundtable or some type of session where she could do some training on it because this is only an hour, but we could literally go an entire week nonstop to actually go through all of the experiences and all the things that she can share with you about running a second-generation business or a family business because it is challenging even having family members working with them. We oh, didn't. We, we didn't even touch on any do that. of that. We don't do that anymore. <laughs> yeah, we didn't touch on any of those challenges. We didn't touch on. I think that is really important too, mm-hmm. because in scary situations like I was in, mm-hmm. and you start to look for alliances that you feel that you can trust, mm-hmm. and you bring in other families, or you bring in friends, mm-hmm. you begin you begin to walk a slippery slope. Absolutely. And, and and those are the kind of things she can share with you. So if you are, if you, you know, if you would like to, to reach out to me individually, please feel free to uh, link into me on LinkedIn. It's Katie Balish, B-A-L-A-S-H. I love meeting new people through LinkedIn. Um, I love sharing my contacts with people on LinkedIn. Um, I am certainly available for training seminars. Uh, so if you are interested um, and you've got particular challenges that you would like help with, if you would like to utilize me for some individual coaching, I'm available for that as well. Please reach out to me. And I so appreciate the time that you have given me today in allowing me to join uh, the podcast. And I hope something that I have said will be of value to you today. Awesome. I'm sure it is. And be sure to go out and look up Vaughn Industries at www.vaughnind.com to learn more about Vaughn Industries. And be sure to share this podcast. It will be up on our site um, there for with others that are second-generation businesses, too, as well. And we look forward to seeing you again on next week. And we'll have another guest sharing other important information with you. Have a great day. Thanks, everybody. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.